Turn in your Bibles this morning in the few minutes that we have left to Luke chapter 18. We've been in this series called The Life of Christ, and today I want to just spend a little bit of time talking about the Pharisees. Throughout Scripture, throughout the Gospels, over and over and over, we have uh, these encounters that Jesus has with the Pharisees. Um, he'll be healing someone, and there's a Pharisee. He'll be uh, um, te- teaching, and there's a Pharisee. He'll be, uh, you know, he meets with Pharisees. He talks with Pharisees. He refers to Pharisees. There's Pharisees, 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 Pharisees. Well, what we do is we get this connotation that Pharisee is an evil person. And I, I find it fair, okay, they get that, um, that connotation. But, but uh, really, what's going on here? with the Pharisees. Well, let's spend a little bit of time here, and we're going to talk um, about what Jesus has to say about the Pharisees and how we need to be aware of what's going on in their lives and what can be going on in our lives. So Luke chapter 18, verse 9 says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Uh, The easy way of saying that, he told this story to the Pharisees. He says, verse 10, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and they're going, cool, it's about us. He says, one was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like the other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and give you a tenth of my income. And the tax collectors are going, whoa. Yeah, there's the hero of the story. Well, then Jesus continues on. He says, But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his own chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful on me, a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, Jesus says, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And every Pharisee listening to this just went, What? How dare you you tell this story? And it's almost the same thing. And today, you know, even in churches today, we we see people who are doing the right things. We we see the people who are checking off the boxes, who are acting right. They're they're doing the holy things. They're doing the righteous things. And what do we do? We applaud them. We go, woo, you got it all together. And then the person who comes dragging themselves in, uh, you know, the person who's messed up day after day, week after week, their life is in shambles and that, we look down our noses at them and we go, well, keep trying. And it's just kind of this, you know, we hear the story and yet we, we jump into the same mindset of the Pharisees where we say, hey, you got to look and act and smell and talk and do the right things. And then we'll applaud you. But if you don't, somehow you're missing the mark. Time and time again, this is what comes up. We praise that which is is done good and we despise that which is, is not performing. Church after church, small group after small group, prayer meeting after prayer meeting. Person comes in and goes, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And everyone goes, a what? Who let that person in? You know, oh, there's one in every group, right? Oh, that's that person. We look down our noses, right? Well, Jesus here turns things around. And in fact, he says the person who's falling on the grace of God and saying, have mercy on me, a sinner, that person, not the one who was doing all the right things, that person is the person who left justified. 
What's going on? All through Jesus' ministry, this scene repeats itself over and over and over again. And that's why I believe it's, it's good for us today to take a look at some of these defining characteristics of a Pharisee. And that when it comes right down to it, what Jesus is talking about is the condition of a heart rather than the actions of the, or the outward appearance. Firstly, I believe it's, it's worth noting that I don't believe any Pharisee specifically or any religious person generally sets out to be a person like that. I don't think anyone wakes up one day and says, you know what, I want to be this religious zealot who doesn't really have Jesus in my heart, but I'm just going to go through the actions and hopefully everyone buys it. I don't believe any one of us wakes up in the morning saying that. I don't believe the Pharisees of Jesus' time had those sinister motives in the beginning, but yet somewhere along the line that has changed. And I would suggest that this even begins with us. But let's take a look at some defining factors or some defining characteristics that Jesus brings up in Scripture. It begins in Matthew 6, and there's, there's one there that, that, that says this. It says, they love to pray. So the Pharisees love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. They're just extroverts. They wanted people to admire their spirituality and their re religious works. Over in uh, Matthew 23, Jesus goes on. He calls them blind guides. You know, that's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Um, they, these are people who strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. They're, they're on this little finest line and details, but yet the, the big things they, they ignore. He, sa he calls them hypocrites. Uh, he says they, they clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. He goes on says, on the outside they appear to be people of righteousness, but on the inside they're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. He encourages in uh, a few verses after that, he encourages his followers, he says, don't listen to these people. He just downright says, don't listen to these people. They think they know what they're talking about. They, they, they sound really, really educated and, and, and yet don't go there. They have great confidence in themselves and they think they've arrived and they think that everyone else is lesser than. You know, we talked about this uh, a few weeks back where, where we jump into this formula of the Pharisees where they believe that and we get believing that if we check off all the boxes, we put a smile on God's face, and as a result of pleasing God and putting a smile on His face, we get the prize of heaven. We get the prize of eternal life. And how often have we been wired into that process? Do all the right things, check off the box, put a smile on God's face. He won't be angry with you, and He'll be happy with you, and He'll show you in and usher you into the kingdom of heaven, and we get going that. And, and we also believe if we don't do the right things, God won't have a smile on His face, and we won't get into heaven. We won't have the prize of the kingdom of God. But when it comes right down to it, that is not the gospel. That is not the message that God sent His Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And the only way that we can embrace and be recipients of the prize of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, is through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And you say, well, pastor, where does the, the, good, <coughs> the good deeds and where does the, 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 the 
God being pleased uh, come out of this? Well, it is out of His great love for us that the response is we want to please Him. That's not what gets us into heaven. That's a response of His work in our lives saving us and putting us into heaven. We all have those tendencies, though, to jump down to the checkboxes as if it's what we do, how we act, how we talk, how we dress, how we function in in society that gets us the prize of heaven. You know, see, when Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount, yes, He was speaking to His followers, He was speaking to His disciples, He was speaking to those others who gathered. Yes, He was even speaking to the Pharisees, those who were kind of lurking around in the shadows. But I believe He was also talking to someone, some, another group there, even on the Sermon on the Mount and throughout His teaching and His ministry. He was talking to us. See, because it's easy for us to go there too. It's easy for us to react out of fear and not out of faith. Last week, the week before, we were talking about this. We were talking about how we get figuring we have to do things on our own. We have to accomplish it by ourselves. The, the statements of fear, right? If, if, uh, if, if I don't protect myself, who will? And so we feel like we have to secure our own protection and our own safety and security. And we go out and we start doing things in order to protect ourselves. We make the statement, if, if, uh, if no one is, is going to provide for me, I have to do it for myself. If I don't do it for myself, who's going to? And so we feel like we have to provide all of the, the stuff that we have instead of relying on a God who says, I will meet your needs according to my riches and glory. And in the end, we, we say, if, if, you know, if we don't position ourselves, who will? So we have to put ourselves in that place. And you see, it's a pharisaical um, uh, map. It's a pharisaical um, uh, game plan. This is what the Pharisees were doing. They're protecting their own environment. They were providing for themselves. They were positioning themselves. And we tend to do the same thing. And it's all built out of fear. Self-preservation. We talked about this in our men's group on Thursday morning. We feel like we have to control things. We have instead of simply letting go. Saying, God has this. I know whom I've believed. I'm persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed to Him until that day. He is who He says He is. And I'm going to rely on Him and trust in Him rather than doing it myself. So Jesus encourages all of us, just as he was encouraging his followers, he was encouraging his Pharisee friends to take a strong look at ourselves. To look at ourselves in the mirror. And I believe there are four main areas. This isn't an exhaustive list, but as I was was looking through and reading through once again, a lot of these encounters with the Pharisees that Jesus had, Um, There are four main areas, and I don't want to couch it in the title, you might be a Pharisee if, but it's kind of along those lines. Uh, Take out your bulletin, and I want you to write down four, uh, more than words, but but just a few uh, um, uh, sentences, they're not even sentences, but just titles, you'll get it. But I want you to write down four things that the Pharisees had a preoccupation with 
that we have a tendency also to go that way. Once again, out of fear and self-preservation. And I think these are things that we have to look at ourselves in, in the mirror and analyze and ask the Lord to reveal these things so we can correct. The first one is this. The Pharisees had a preoccupation with appearances. Um, anyone here not have a preoccupation with, with appearances? No, I'm just, don't raise your hand, okay? I, I think we all, it, it might not be a preoccupation, we all have a concern. How do we look? Um, you know, I have to admit, there have been times where I've been walking uh, down a street and, um, there, you know, there's the, the, the windows of the stores and stuff. There have been at least once, maybe twice in my life where I've actually looked at myself in the, in the reflection. And, you know, Dan will laugh at this one. I, the, I got this Embry walk and I kind of hunch my, my shoulders over when I walk. And Dan is always telling me, stand up straight, stand up straight. So I have to admit, there are times where I'm walking down the street, I look in the mirror, am I, do I have that Embry walk going on? Uh, you know, I'm proud of my Embry walk, but it's kind of, it's not a real good walk. So, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to stand up straight and, you know, uh, but there's other things too. We're, we're concerned about our appearances. That's normal, but there's this, this place where the, where the Pharisees went, where it became a preoccupation, where it's this, the clothes they wore, the adornments and stuff. And once again, it started off as genuine. You know, you talk about the, the phylacteries that they had on their heads, which were these little boxes with Scripture in them that were meant, intended to remind them of the goodness of God, the grace of God, the, the, the Torah, the, the, the law. It was, it was good intent, but it, what it became was, hey, look at me. Look at how religious and holy I am that I have Scriptures on my head. You know, it's like, why, okay, well, why don't we do more? Why don't we stick a scripture on this side and, you know, time to our knees or, you know, where do we stop? You know, they had these prayer shawls. Once again, it started off genuine. You talk about the, the prayer shawl and, and I was reading even this week where, you know, where their kids would get sick and they would wrap their kids in the prayer shawl just as a symbol of being enveloped by the presence of God. Like you talk about just the genuineness behind that. And yet what it became was an outward showing of how holy they were by how long the tassels were on the corners of their, their prayer shawls. And that and it's just, they were so overly concerned and preoccupied with how they were looking. It's easy for us to go there too, isn't it? They seek the Lord and say, hey, Lord, is this something that I struggle with? Another is a preoccupation with rules. You know, the Sabbath, what they should do, how many steps they should walk, who they should help, who they shouldn't help, what they should wear, what they shouldn't wear, what they should touch or eat or, or drink or how they should speak or what they should say and what they shouldn't say. And we go there too. What are the rules? Oh, that person does this or that person doesn't do that. I tell you, you know, Crossroads, oh man. No, I won't even go there. No, that'll take too long and I don't have that much time. So anyways, that's a sermon for another day. I love you guys. I really do. And praise the Lord. No, I, I, you guys, time out. I have to go there. <laughs> Just real briefly, real briefly. Guys, in the community, Crossroads is known as that church. Um, and, you know, the permissive church, the liberal church, the this or that, and... It comes once, once again, uh, it's, our, it's people who are just, how do I say this in a kind way? It's people who are so hung up on rules and are looking at us, and yeah, we mess up. We mess up, and there's places where we're more permissive than we should be, or, or more lenient than we should be, or, 
or we're, but I like to think we're, we're seeking the Lord and we're hearing his heart and hearing his voice. And yeah, he wants us to respond in holiness and righteousness and that, but that's not where we get our acceptance into his kingdom and into his family. It comes like the, the, the tax collector saying, Lord, have mercy on me. And I don't know if that made any sense, but Lord, uh, you know, thank you for being a church that you're just, you're not okay with the mess, but you're, you just understand that a part of life and a part of being human and a part of finding our way from here to heaven is just really messy at times. And I appreciate that about y'all. And uh, giving me and the staff and, and leadership just that freedom to, to make mistakes and be messy too. Um, I know there's a whole lot more theology that I should include into that, but we'll just leave it there and uh, I'll just ask the Holy Spirit to interpret it for you. But uh, a preoccupation with rules. So appearances, number one, rules, number two. Write down this one. A preoccupation with doctrinal correctness. Now hear me, we want to be doctrinally sound. Yes, I don't stand up here on a Sunday going, how can I feed our congregation a, a, a bunch of lies? No, my, my intent, elders, other pastors, any of our teachers or leaders, whether it's in kids' ministry or that, we want to be doctrinally sound. But hear me, the, the Pharisees had this, just this obsession with being absolutely cut and dry, black and white, and there was no room for, for just, you know, kind of, and I hate to use the word smudging the lines, but, you know, the point where they were, they were getting at, they were asking Jesus about, okay, you got this husband who's married to this woman, and the woman dies, well, he remarries, who are they, you know, who's he going to be married to in heaven? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Jesus, it doesn't say in the scripture, but I'm sure Jesus is going like, who cares? You know, that's Darren version, and once again, <laughs> theological doctrinal incorrectness, you know, you're going to have to cut me some slack on that one, but, you know, uh, Jesus, which is the greatest commandment, you know, and now Jesus answered it, but you want know, to get right down to, like, there's more to life than, than dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's, and, and you know, we get so bent and caught up on, are you doing this right? Like, here's a case in point, an illustration. I've been in ministry 30 years. I was a, a youth pastor a long, long time ago. And we had this one song, and I remember one time we were leading worship in big church. And uh, there was a song way back when, I'll sing a little bit of it, it went like this, it went, I will praise you more, I'll praise you Lord, with every breath that I take, I will praise you Lord, this promise I make. So it's a great song, right? It's like, woo, yes, I'll praise you Lord, just focusing on the presence of the Lord. Well, then the next line goes, when eternity ends and starts over again, even then I will praise you more. Beautiful song, great song, I had this one dude come up to me at the end of the service and goes, Pastor, I'm really upset at that song you sang. I was like, what? He said, yeah, you know, we all know that eternity has no end. And I'm like, for real? And like, they were dead set. Like, you better not ever lead that song in church again because we all know that there is no end to eternity. And I'm like, have you ever heard of hyperbole? It's like, you know, come on, dude. And we get so just so caught up on, did we do, did we step the right way, did we quote this exactly, did we do, you know, it's like, come on. Now, yes, it's important that we get things right, but at what expense? 
This is where the Pharisees were going. So doctrinal correctness. Number four, keeping the right company. They had a preoccupation with keeping the right company. And we've heard the stories of, of the Pharisees and that. And we heard their accusations of who Jesus was hanging out with and who he was. And in this case, you had a Pharisee and a tax collector. And uh, come on, who even let the tax collector into the synagogue? Like, for Pete's sake, you know, why was he even there in the first place, right? And, you know, so... My point is, I really believe the Lord wants us to look inwardly, and, and I'm, I'm running out of time, but you can write this down, uh, Luke 6, it's the, it's the story where Jesus talks about the Pharisee, and he's, he's talking about, we're, we're so keen on picking the speck of dust out of our, our brother's eye, instead of looking at the plank in our own, and, uh, or the log in our own, and, and it's just a self-introspection, you know, let's take a healthy look at ourselves, not, once again... There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but there's conviction. You know, I don't want any of us to walk out of here going, man, we got beat up for being pharisaical. No, there's this, this conviction of the Holy Spirit of going, oh, can we just kind of put this aside? Can we put off, you know, these check boxes aside? And can we, can we rely on the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who came, gave His life to set us free from the junk and the crap and the awful stuff and the, and the sin and the hang-ups and the, and the self-consciousness and the rules and the regulations and all this. And, and that is by grace we've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not that any of us can boast. And out of that, though, comes this honoring the Lord and with our actions and our words and our deeds. And we're, we're seeking to become more like Him. Turn over. Let me finish with this. Um, Philippians 3. We're going to just jump through real this uh, real quick. Paul, uh, his, his name was Saul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, the, the best of the best in terms of being religious. And he has this Damascus Road experience. And my point today is I believe each and every one of us needs a Damascus Road experience and encounter with Jesus. An encounter with Jesus. If, if you hear nothing else this, else this morning... Each and every single one of us needs to meet Jesus. Just needs to connect with Jesus. If you feel like you're a million miles away from God, how do you get closer to God? Meet Jesus. If you feel like you're, you're checking all the boxes and you got life by, by the tail and man, things are going great and everything's awesome, once again, you need Jesus. You need to know Jesus. And so here's Paul in Philippians 3. And worship team, come on up and join me. All right, I know I've gone over time. And... Um, so here, uh, Philippians 3, 4. Indeed, I, uh, sorry, if others have reason for confidence in their own uh, efforts, I have even more. So Paul's just basically saying, I'm the dude of all dudes and I've done everything right when I was a religious dude. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of uh, the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I'm a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was more zealous that, that I harshly, uh, sorry, I was so jealous that I, uh, sorry, zealous that I harshly persecuted the church as for the righteousness I obeyed the law without fault. And he's just going on, this is my pedigree, this is who I am, this is... And then what does he say? He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them as worthless because of what Christ has done. He had an encounter with Christ. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, trash, rubbish, so that I, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteousness, or sorry, I become righteous through faith in Christ. You get that? I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith. Go to that next slide. Paul ends off this whole section by saying, I want to know Christ. I want to know Him and nothing else. And all of the other things are just going to, they're going to take place and they're going to happen and they're going to come out of a response of Christ's great love for me and this encounter that I've had. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand, all right?